0: CBD that's patented all over the world, and we put it to work against CBD, and we found it to be superior in preclinical testing. And then we were invited into a grant study with Temple, which had looked at our analog against CBD in, in the hepatic encephalopathy model and said, oh, you have an exciting compound. Would you ever think of looking at pain management? And we kind of looked at ourselves and said, no, but we're willing to learn, and boy, did we learn
1: From MJ Bulls Media, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we have a really exciting show with our guest Dean Picanis from Canna Life. Dean, welcome to the show.
0: Nice to be with you, Dan.
1: Well, it's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Before we got on, we reminisced for a minute. Dean and I first met back in 2014. Cannolife was a major sponsor at my first New York City Cannabis Trade Show at the Marriott. I think you were actually on the keynote panel, but I know for sure that you were one of the first people to really explain CBD to me. And, you know, this is back in 2014. Not too many people Knew anything about CBD, but Cantalife had already been doing a lot of research for a number of years. And that's where I wanted to start today's conversation because to lump Cantalife into the CBD category would be a gross misclassification. On your website, it says Cantalife is a biopharmaceutical company. Let's start here. What is a biopharmaceutical company?
0: Well, in the classic sense of the terminology, a pharmaceutical company is a company that develops medicinal chemistry analogs and takes them to the marketplace from a drug discovery perspective and gets them through the clinic for the treatment of various diseases and disorders. When you add bio to it, you're actively pursuing biologicals as well. in biochemistry talked about biological targets that are being met. You are correct. We go back to 2014. We were talking about CBD back then, and in a sense, I feel a sense of, I guess, responsibility for the Frankenstein monster. <laughs> <laughs> we were we had taken a license from National Institutes of Health to evaluate cannabinoids as potential drug candidates and it was because of that license with NIH, that I think, opened up a marketplace for market participants. We never jumped into that market for reasons that we had a discipline of being a biopharmaceutical company, and we knew that our ultimate goal was to get into the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so looking at the government's patent, we found that that particular cannabinoid had multiple targets that could lead to successful drug discovery. Now, what we found right away was that CBD was limited as a drug candidate. It lacked certain drug-like properties. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we then shifted and said, we need to make CBD better. The only way to do that is to create a new molecule, molecular structure that does some of the good things that CBD does without some of the challenges that CBD represents in the clinical marketplace. Well,
1: man, that's a lot to unpack. That's a lot of information. Let's start from the beginning. You talked about the U.S. government's patent, and just reading about this blows my mind. They have a patent that you guys license that proves that there's medicinal value to cannabis. Start here. Tell us more about the U.S. patent.
0: Okay. The patent has expired in April of 2019. There was an intramural research project funded by taxpayer dollars. And so that patent that was developed and issued to the U.S. government in 2003 we licensed a little bit more than halfway through the life of the patent. Okay, And so we licensed that from NIH for a particular disease, one particular disease, and then we went in for another one and, and got a second license for another disease. The two diseases were uh, hepatic encephalopathy, which is like a brain-liver disorder, and the other was chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is that football-related injury that everybody seems to like talk about. Mm-hmm. So we looked at neuroprotection, and the patent does describe cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. So that was our research model. We first looked at neuroprotection, and then things started to happen over the years that caused us to look into other areas. Like pain management. So, we didn't totally abandon CBD, but we needed, like we, I said earlier, to try to make it better. Uh-huh. And so, our drug discovery model came up with an analog of CBD that's patented all over the world, and we put it to work against CBD, and we found it to be superior in preclinical testing. Then we were invited into a grant study with Temple, which had looked at our analog against CBD in, in the hepatic encephalopathy model and said, oh, you have an exciting compound. Would you ever think of looking at pain management? And we kind of looked at ourselves and said, no, but we're willing to learn. And boy, did we learn. We have a very, very interesting compound, Dan, that outperformed CBD in the neuropathic
1: pain Is that the KLS13019 that I read? It is. Okay. It's in clinical evaluations at this point?
0: Yeah, we've done an enormous amount of preclinical work. We've actually also put in for a phase two study grant, phase one we received, we completed. So then we completed that study, which also showed that our compound reduced cravings sugar-seeking, sweet food-seeking reward cravings, and also the response to opioids in an animal model, which was fascinating because our compound is is a non-opioid-based compound. So when you look at the market for neuropathic pain, not just chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, but diabetic neuropathy, there's a huge push to treat neuropathic pain with opioids. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to a phase two application that's pending with NIH and at the same time we're out there now raising capital to push us into the clinic on our own accord using the capital to take O19 into human safety studies.
1: You mentioned that you're preparing to raise capital. I know you're a publicly traded company, and I think I believe your symbol is KLFE. KLFE. Yes. Would you tell us more about your upcoming capital raise?
0: So we hired a life sciences investment banker. We kept the confidentiality with the group. They're very good at what they do. They just don't want to publicize anything until they've closed the deal. And we're out there in, in a... Um, roughly $15 million cap raise as an ask. We don't have the structure of the deal yet. It'll come to us. There seems to be a lot of interest in what we're doing, especially in the opioid addiction market where there's need for therapeutics, especially in CIPN where there's no FDA-approved drug. So we're moving a lot of the interest bullet points that would get us through the financing. And such a financing would take us through 2B. Once you get into Phase 1, the prospect of a collaboration with Big Pharma goes up to about 50%, 5.0. Phase 2, if you get 2 a 2B trial, it goes up to about 72%, 73%. And if you get into Phase 3, it's roughly 93%. Wow. So getting into the clinic is obviously the most important thing for us right now. And the things that we're doing along the way now at this point in time will help facilitate that more expeditiously.
1: You've done all the heavy lifting right now, and when the investment bankers, I should say, are ready, how will my listeners know that there's an opportunity to invest? We're
0: not shy about putting out press. As we're able to discuss things, we will. If it's third-party related, we have to assign ourselves to confidentiality, and we'll probably be putting out more news in in the third and fourth quarter Hopefully, it'll be news that says that we closed on the financing that we were putting
1: forth. (laughs) That would be great. That would be great. We're going to have all your contact information in the show notes and at mjbulls.com. So if anybody wants to keep an eye on this, just click the link in the show notes. Dean, I wish we had more time. There's a lot more questions that I have. Maybe let's do this again when you finish your finance round.
0: We could. I know you wanted to talk about a atopidine, but your investors are free to go to the site and take a look at what we're doing in topical solutions as well because it's a two-pronged approach for us to not only do the stuff necessary inside the body to reduce inflammation, be good neuroprotectant, but to also be used topically for problems skin solutions similar to what CBD has been known to be used for as well.
1: Yeah, we will definitely dive deeper into that on our next show. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dean.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.